This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from NYU Stern. What makes a good leader great? It's your own ambition coupled with the support you need to take that next great leap. With NYU Stern's Executive MBA program in Washington, D.C., that's what you get. A robust curriculum balanced with convenience. Classes held one Friday, Saturday, Sunday a month in downtown D.C. Be open to excellence. Search NYU Stern EMBA in D.C. for more information. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. My guest today is Emily Kane. And Emily and I, we go way back. I saw you at Hotel Cafe years ago. Come on. Yes, I did. I just moved to L.A. It was maybe like 2012, 2013. Oh, my God. That's a great venue. It's so intimate. That's a great venue. It's so intimate. I do recall that being one of my worst shows ever. No, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually a great show. Emily was touring her seven EP, which is just full of these lush, intricate, delicate songs like this one. It's called Georgia. Flash forward to now, Emily has released two studio albums since then. She has toured around the world, opened for John Legend and Maroon 5. And just a few weeks ago, Emily Kane put out a new album. It's called Scenery. And this album is still full of all that lush, intricate songwriting that I came to enjoy all those years ago at Hotel Cafe. But the sound is a bit different this time. There's a little more 80s in it, a little more synthesizer. We talk about all of that and Emily's special relationship with her longtime producer, Jeremy Most, a.k.a. Jay Most. And you might hear some of these songs live if you check out Emily Kane playing a venue much bigger than Hotel Cafe later on this year. She's playing the Coachella Music Festival. Wow. Okay. This April. Did you? I mean, I don't need. I don't think they have the right person. I mean, I'm. I, I'm a little bit. Are you nervous? It does. It feels like the cool kids in the cafeteria just invited me to sit with them. Do it. Come on, have a seat. <laughs> sit there. You know. So, it, I'm excited about it. What can I say? There is a lot in this chat to be excited about. So let's just get to it. Emily Keane was with me at NPR West in Culver City. Enjoy. What I really love about this new album is that you went somewhere new to record it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You went, like, out in the mountains, out in the woods, huh? I did. Where'd you go? I went upstate two hours north. Of New York City. Of New York City, and uh, which was really scary for me because you know i well i was scared to move away because i didn't know how to drive for one thing <laughs> like a true new yorker yes yeah and yeah. i'm like i'm gonna go here i'm gonna i'm gonna move first so you moved to like the catskills area yes okay okay and it's beautiful out there it is so beautiful and i was prior to that like visiting airbnbs and and getting to know the neighborhood a little bit and i spent a month at an airbnb last summer or two summers ago mm-hmm and I just fell in love with the little neighborhood. I thought there's a lot of musicians that I know. Mm-hmm. There's a great community of artists. I think 
you know, the Woodstock area, even before the festival and it became this kind yeah. of thing, there was artists there in the 30s. And so oh, yeah. it's always been a community. Mm-hmm. And I needed some, I needed nature. I hear you. So I had to just go and I've, it, I ended up finding a little place and then... My mom and grandma came up with me and helped me buy a car. <laughs> I heard your grandma like really helped because she's a used car salesman. Yeah, well, that was, was one of her many, okay. you know, hustles. Yeah. So what did you get? I got a Nissan Sentra. Okay. Solid. <laughs> Solid. Solid. I love talking about you driving because there are a few songs on the album that totally feel like driving songs. Oh, I'm cool. talking about like Remind Me. Yeah. I'm play a little bit now. Been without it for so long. Forgot what it feels like. It is like a song to hit the highway on. Oh, and in the darkness, it came along. So glad you think it's so. just the right BPM, you yes, know? Yes, yes. Where you're like, yes. 65. Yes. No traffic. <laughs> totally. Break down how your process of making songs for this album was different based on your different environments. So you're out in the woods, yeah. you're driving for the first time ever. I assume it like changes the way you're feeling the music. It absolutely did. I mean, I couldn't believe that there was all of this space and nobody else was in it but me. You know, <laughs> it's a wonderful. Being feeling. from the city, I'm like, how is this even possible right now? Because you were born and raised in the city, right? I was raised in the city, yeah. and when I got upstate, mm-hmm. I just. I just like laid in my driveway, like I can just. I'm here, yeah. And you know, and no one else is here. Ain't nobody up in here. (laughs) And I, I wanted to write a song when I felt that way, because of course, the honeymoon wears off eventually, but. So I just sat there, I just like stared out the window and I just like sang these words into a voice memo and Really? Yeah. You remind me of something. You remind me of something. Something that I used to feel myself. Something that I used to feel like a heartbeat racing. And then eventually I kinda pieced together the hook and I think I think I cried a little bit when I sang. <laughs> something that I used to feel, something like what I've been missing. That's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is actually expressing how I feel. Which doesn't always happen with songwriting. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes you get too heady and you're like, this is the verse and this is the chorus. But this felt like a direct connection. So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to stay here for a while. Yeah. And you guys, it seems like y'all, like, when I listen to the music, and this is this is for Seven, this was for The Switch, I can tell that you and J-Most, as folks call them, yeah. are, like, just in the pocket because there would be these moments where you just let the groove play. Yeah. Okay, the last half of Teach You. Yeah. I like that groove you're in. Yeah. I kind of want to hit it. It's like... You as an artist and as a singer allow as much stage time and presence to, like, the groove itself. 
If that makes sense. Thank you for you know saying, saying that. I love the groove. Right? And I, I wanna, love the groove. Yes. The and pocket. You, you, you get in the pocket and you yeah. stay there. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know how in church, the song will be so good. And yes. the vocalist has done the two verses and the vamp and the bridge and everything. But the song is over and the band's like, no, we're still going to play. That's exactly it. And it's yeah. like you don't leave the song until the spirit's gone. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, and I think, honestly, if I had a different producer, it might not be that way. But really? J-Mo's has, like, the best pocket I've ever seen so anybody have. So it's kind of one of the best things about working with him. Is he playing the bass? He plays everything. I Because I'll hear that bass yes, and it's just driving. Yes. Because you you hear the top 40 stuff. Everyone's just belting and singing at you for three and a half minutes. And you're like, even if they're good, you're like, okay, I get it. Look, if I could belt, I would. Okay. I'd be on that radio doing that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just like, let me just play to my strengths. And I know what my weaknesses are. What are your weaknesses? Um, yeah, I can't like belt like Whitney Houston. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a softer singer. I, I think the best place for me is to kind of be have power, but to be controlled and rhythmic. Jair too. I mean, he's Jay Most. Yeah. He told me that he started singing softly because in his apartment, the neighbors would complain Stop about it. like any type of noise at all. Really? And so when I met him, he had this music out, and he, I'm like, "You sing like I do." This <laughs> Whisper is, sing. This is so crazy. <laughs> awesome. Match yeah. made in heaven. There it is. All right, time for a break. When we come back. I ask Emily about the special working relationship she has with her longtime producer, Jeremy Most. BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The world is complicated, and for many of us, history class was a long time ago. That's where we come in. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah. I'm Ramtin Arablouei, and we're the hosts of Throughline, NPR's new history podcast. Every week, we'll dig into forgotten stories from the moments that shaped our world. Throughline, history like you've never heard it before. As someone who works closely with the producer, it is a certain, there's a certain parenting of the thing that you're making. Yeah. And you're both these parents. Yes, making absolutely. a song or a podcast or a show or whatever and like if one over parents the other can't parent <laughs> and you yeah. gotta make sure that like oh that's a good point you know like how do you navigate that it's what seems what, what, what can be a parental relationship I think I think it is challenging at times and we both have very strong ideas about what we think is good mm-hmm. and so there are moments where 
he puts his foot down huh. and then I'm like, yeah, you were right. What is those like what do those fights look like and sound like? Are they fights? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's, like, it's yeah, it's it's really um it hurts. It's like not mm. physically obviously, yeah. but yeah. it's it's just like it's frustrating because you think you've hit a wall and your fear is that you're not going to overcome this wall to mm. to get your ideas out, which is all we That's ever want to do. do. Yeah. And so, you know, there's been moments where like I'm not going to put this out unless this is this. Oh, and, damn. You know, and but the general census is we both want this to be good. Which song on this album had the biggest wall to climb over as far as like the um, production battle mm, with you and Jay Most? Look at Me Now was challenging in a different way. Okay. That song was really a collaboration. Are you hearing about me? How you dealing without me? Hello. Did you keep all the records? Do they sound good without me? Mellow. Heard you got a new lady. This is such a specific breakup song. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, you were talking to somebody. <laughs> right? Totally. keep the apartment? Does she like what we started? So that I had that intro mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and I didn't oh, wow. know what to put on the back end of it. Huh. And then I remember I woke up at the house, and I had a dream. Hmm. And the dream was the rest of the song. It was this chanting melody. And then that night, I believe, I played it for Jeremy, and he was just like, Look at me now! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Okay, let me find out. <laughs> like, that's perfect. Yes, yes. How fun. And so, so we got that part together. Mm-hmm. Then there was the instrumental part. And then after the instrumental, the original track modulated, hmm. which was awesome, except I couldn't sing it. Really? Well, how big was the modulation? It was only like one step up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> and I was like so challenged by this. And I, you know, he was confused. I said, look. This is what I have to work with. Yeah. Like, you need yeah. to just trust me that I, this is really hard for me to yeah. sing this. And we had a meeting with a label shortly after that. We had to play them our new songs. And, of course, we didn't have anything. <laughs> and so just the night before, mm-hmm. we had finally figured out, maybe we don't modulate. Just stay in just there. Just stay there. It's, it's that, like, it's yeah. okay, you know? Yeah. It all just came together in the nick of time. And I love how, you know, all the things that I mentioned before, like feeling you guys totally be in a groove, but at the same time, over the last, well, this is y'all's third record together. Yeah. Yeah. Over those, I've seen y'all move into different spaces, mm. and I like that, like, I'm still getting the core of who y'all are, but there's a little different. Like, with this album, and what I want to ask you about specifically is, there's more sense on this one than I felt like in the last one or two, Ooh. which is interesting because you're in the woods. And when you think oh, of the woods wow, and nature, cool. you don't think as much like synthesizer, but like there's sense in here and I love yeah. it. Like there's one 
the last portion of Marigold. Yeah. Oh. The sense of driving. That's nice. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Was there a, 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 I guess, an intention of having more synthesizer sounds on, on this one? I think I really got heavy into Tina Turner, like, simply the best. Which, oh, that my goodness. Era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought she managed to make these pop records, but they're R&B records, too, mm. and they're timeless. So I wanted to emulate that, mm-hmm. and I also wanted to sound more electronic. Really? Yeah, and just have more kind of instruments that I think are cool. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I hate to put music into a decade because yeah. there's always all music all the time. But, like, I felt a wonderful penumbra of 80s in there. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was into it. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think it just came out that way. And I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I'm born in 1985. But I I always consider myself a 90s music yeah. person because yeah. that's that was really when I started soaking yeah. in music. But... Now, as an adult, I appreciate the 80s more. Yeah. All right, one more break here. When we come back, how Emily's jazz musician parents influenced her when she was growing up in New York City. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. On Wait, Wait, Stacey Abrams gave us the secret to avoiding the curse of the State of the Union response. I drank a lot of water early. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I prayed really hard. <laughs> Stay hydrated for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask a little bit about growing up as the child of two musicians. It sounds just like a dream. <laughs> It sounds like a dream. So both of your parents, tell us who they are. They they both were making jazz. Yeah. Yes, they were. um, They were a duo at the time called Kim and Marion. Love it. And my dad um, is from the Bronx, and he grew up, you know, with bebop, and he became a fan of Lambert Hendricks and Ross when he was like twelve years old. Okay. And he started following them around. Oh my goodness. And he actually replaced Dave Lambert. On huh. some gigs when oh, wow. he was a teenager. Yeah, yeah, So when when he met my mom, who is like a singer doing her own thing, they decided to kind of take on that style of Lambert Hendricks and Ross. Okay. And their voices were incredible together. But then, of course, they broke up. 
Okay. And they stopped singing together, which was like, can y'all at least still do gigs? <laughs> so, okay, I'm yeah. trying to get a free cheeseburger. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> But they stopped singing together. It was really hard for my brother and I. How old were you? Were y'all when that happened? Um, like ten and eleven. Okay. And so, but then, my mom, like, completely discovered herself as a songwriter, mm-hmm. and now makes like the most beautiful choral music, yeah. and she's just writing strings, uh, string arrangements now. And my dad is like straight ahead jazz and he teaches at smalls every sunday he teaches he calls it the saloon what does he call it it's for saloon singers he says he teaches you how to conduct a band on a gig and you know get over your stage fright and stuff so they're strong on their own and i can't imagine them together of course at this point (laughs) when you growing up in that were you just around music and musicians and the art like all the time yeah, we were around. They they had some heavy hitters with them, like you know some really great musicians, Kenny Barron and Al Foster, and yeah. they. So I didn't know the caliber of musicianship huh. that I was being exposed to, yeah, yeah, yeah. just by default. Yeah. So I definitely had a lucky childhood in that sense to just be around that and emulate their tone and hold out these long notes and mm-hmm. hear the great songwriting of the American songbook and yeah, all yeah, of yeah. this stuff. Were they taking y'all to gigs and stuff as kids? Yes. We would, oh yeah, God, yeah, it. we'd go to their gigs and, you know, I was always like, when is this over? <laughs> this is boring. I could easily imagine someone growing up like that saying, I want a career that is not at all music because I've had yeah. enough of it. Yeah. Did you sure. ever say I'm going somewhere totally different than this? Or were, were you times always yeah? as a young child mm-hmm. when I just fantasized about mm-hmm. being a veterinarian, oh. or, you know, <laughs> I wanted to be a basketball player. Okay. But I think my, instinctually I knew I didn't have those skills mm. and I just always felt like, yeah, I can do music. Yeah. You know, just having, <laughs> just being around mom and dad and my brother. Yeah. But um, I don't think I was a very good child singer. It's I, really no. I I feel like I forced it. <laughs> I'm like I was like I'm gonna do this. It's happening. Like, this is happening. Yeah. When did you feel like you got it? Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me next year. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll win. Maybe I'll never play. Maybe I'll lose. What song do you think from the new album will most affect your listeners? Oh, I really hope they, like, go back to this song. It's the last song on the record. Yeah. Had some tough breaks in this town, heaven knows. Jesse Singer and I were in the studio one day. Seen some heartaches, weighed me down like a stone. He was playing those chords, and then I came up with the lyric. Well, I Why do you think this one's going to hit the listeners? I would hope that people would relate to that sentiment of it can be triumphant where you're saying, I'm never going to go back to that. Will I make it? 
could be a place or a person or like an insecurity that mm-hmm. you had. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like I'm never going to go back to feeling less than, mm. you know. Mm. But also at the same time, it, it's a kind of about moving away from home and you're kind of lamenting on, damn, I can't, I can't really I can't ever go, go back. back. Yeah. I, or I can't go back to being a child or I yeah. can't go back to the innocence uh-huh. or the not knowing or... Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's different ways to take that song, but it just feels it feels like it could be an emotional song. Yeah, it is for me. I could see Tina singing this song. <laughs> I'm calling it now. Yes. Coachella, here I come. Let's go, baby. I'm going to have a big Emily Keane poster out there. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Mwah. Mwah. All right. Many thanks to Emily Keane. Catch her on tour throughout the spring. Her new album is out now. It's called Scenery. And this track that we're playing right now is called Go Back. All right, listeners, as always, this week and every week, don't forget to share with me the best thing that's happened to you all week. Just record yourself and send that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. You might hear the best part of your week in our weekly wrap. That is on Friday. All right, till then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.